sometimes you need to hit the pause button as a clinician um, and a researcher and say, hang on, this is what my underlying assumption is. We want to be evidence-based practitioners, but in fact, this is just how we should practice. Ethics is every part of every clinical decision that we make. And what it is that we do is we make lives better. Welcome to Speak Up, the Speech Pathology Australia podcast. This podcast series highlights conversations with esteemed contributors in the speech pathology space. We explore key issues in the profession in a short and easy to listen to format. Let's hear what this week's contributors have to say. Well, welcome to this edition of Speech Pathology Australia's Speak Out podcast series, discussing implementing the evidence for aphasia rehabilitation. My name is Kim Teresi and I'm the Association's Senior Advisor for Aged Care. And today I'm delighted to be chatting to Professor Emerita Linda Worrell. Linda is, of course, well known to many of us as speech pathologists for her long and distinguished career in the area of aphasia. But by way of background information, she is Professor Emerita of Speech Pathology at the University of Queensland, Brisbane, Australia, and current chairperson of the Australian Aphasia Association. She completed her undergraduate degree in speech pathology at the University of Queensland and then completed her PhD in the Stroke Research Unit in Nottingham, UK. She has practised as a speech pathologist both in Australia and the UK and founded the Australian Aphasia Association in 2000. She was also a founder of Aphasia United, an international peak organisation for aphasia. She has over 300 peer-reviewed articles including 26 book chapters and six books, has graduated 27 PhD candidates and has had continuous nationally competitive research funding during her academic career. From 2009 to 2014, she led the NHMRC-funded Australia-wide Centre for Clinical Research, Research Excellence in Aphasia Rehabilitation. So welcome, Linda, and thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, Kim. Linda, you've presented on and indeed contributed to a vast body of knowledge on evidence-based treatment for aphasia throughout your career. For our chat today, I just wondered if you could perhaps tell us about what are some of the key messages you might have for speech pathologists at this time regarding the implementation of evidence-based treatments for aphasia in their day-to-day clinical practice? Sure. Uh, I think that Uh, towards this being towards the end of my career, I've become aware that there are lots of um, guidelines. In fact, there's four uh, international guidelines uh, for aphasia rehabilitation. And um, so those evidence-based guidelines are out there, but implementation of those guidelines into practice uh, is not always easy. And so I know that speech pathologists are probably aware that there's guidelines out there for aphasia rehabilitation, but probably don't know how to, the best way to implement those uh, practices. Mm. And what do you think have been some of the barriers for speech pathologists in terms of being able to implement that evidence-based treatment? Always, always time. I mean, I think... um, having practiced as a clinician there are 
many things coming at you, many sort of priorities, if you like, um, that you have to attend to every day. And uh, that um, coming up for air, if you like, and being able to reflect on your practice isn't always easy when you're in the flow of uh, clinical practice. So what I think uh, needs to happen in some sort of clinical practices is that uh, rethinking whether they are doing the right things, whether their busyness in aphasia rehabilitation is in fact the right busyness. Um, so time is always an issue, but I think that it's another um, word for uh, priorities. I'm totally aware that dysphagia uh, became a priority when speech pathologists um, took on that role uh, and that in some places dysphagia is still uh, the main sort of service that takes priority. I do think that aphasia, attention to people with aphasia, however, is becoming more uh, recognised because of the long-term effects that aphasia has on patients. So uh, they the effect of aphasia is actually really very devastating on not only the individual but also the family and so um, recognition of that impact I think is beginning to ensure that aphasia services right from the get-go even in acute are just as important as dysphagia uh, practices. So uh, the other sort of barrier, I think, apart from time and priorities, is probably just um, having the knowledge of where those guidelines are and what they say, what they mean, and then having the resources to implement those best practices. So, for example, knowing where to uh, obtain communication partner training from or knowing where to uh, access um, accessible information about aphasia or about stroke. So having those resources available, usually in the cupboard, um, is, is really an important part of uh, speech pathology practice. So um, the barriers are not only having the time, but also having the resources uh, and the knowledge to implement those uh, resources um, in a way that is uh, serving the needs of their clients. Have you got any suggestions, Linda, for any practical things that speech pathologists might be able to do to look at starting to implement those sorts of guidelines? You know, where, where could they start? I sure, guess? yes. The, I think the, the obvious to me is that um, have, just doing an audit of the practices uh, in a speech pathology department. So 
if the speech pathology department is providing an aphasia service, the Aphasia United has the top 10 best practice recommendations. And so that's an easy start, 10, you know. So this these 10 best practice recommendations were agreed upon by 500 speech pathologists from all around, all around the world. So, and they were gathered from research done uh, over a number of years and also in an, a lot of different areas of the world. So my feeling is that just starting with that simple, are we doing these top 10 practices and taking it from there, they will get an, a bit of an idea of how well they are doing against best practice recommendations. Mm. That's great, Lindy. Yeah, it's often that getting that uh, impetus of where do I start with all of this? So that's a, that's a really great suggestion. I guess um, also, I guess I, I wanted to ask, you mentioned at the, at the start about, you know, you're sort of stepping into this new um, towards retirement phase, I guess. And, and at that time, I wondered if you could reflect what might be your key messages for speech pathologists working with aphasia. Um, I think that listening to the voices of people with aphasia has come home to me as being the most important thing that we can do. So uh, whether that means that you systematically collect information from your clients about the service that you provide, about their satisfaction with the service that you provide, um, or whether you uh, read um, research that reflects the views of people with aphasia um, or just becoming involved in a local aphasia group or a uh, or something a, a service organization like the Australian Aphasia Association where people who've been through rehabilitation and are perhaps uh, mm, a few years post-stroke, they are able now to reflect on their time and they now that they've become uh, more knowledgeable about aphasia and their recovery, they are better able to tell us what they needed in those early stages. So I've certainly sort of I would recommend that every uh, aphasia therapist has some way of finding out what the result of their intervention has been in the long term. So I know as a young clinician myself that uh, I was either doing the acute wards or sometimes I was in rehabilitation but I rarely saw people with aphasia after they were discharged from hospital. And so I thought I was doing a great job, but I happened to sort of come across uh, some people 
after discharge. And I was really very surprised at how well they had done. <laughs> um, and so, uh, and it made me reflect that perhaps we don't do that enough. And so I would really encourage any speech pathologist to be involved somehow in hearing the voices of people with aphasia. And that'll probably lead to some service level changes too. The things that people with aphasia and their family members are saying, oh, I wish we could have had this or I wish we could have had that. So, um, yeah, it's, um, I think it's a, an, an uh, eye-opening experience. Mm, yeah, I agree, Linda. My only personal experience as a clinician was that I then, after working in those fields, got to work in sort of more community-based roles and people with sort of longer, you know, the longer state, longer term stage and also through the um, AAA conferences worked with people who were sort of a couple of years down the track and, and um, yeah, it was just always amazing and, and so wonderful to be able to get that feedback from them as a group, I guess, and, and reflecting, um, as you say, on all of their experiences and what would have helped or, or what their perspectives of were of some of the things that we would all have been doing at that time, but what, That's you know, right. what, what their perspective of that was too. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, really, really valuable, I felt too. Mm, yes. Um, and, you know, I do, th I, having, being the chairperson of the Australian Aphasia Association, um, you know, we've really been trying to uh, help people with aphasia be allowed a voice in the health system, etc. So that, because I think aphasia services are only going to improve if the voice of the consumer is heard by the health systems and the powers that be. So if we're, if speech pathologists argue for more hours, more services and things like that, it may be perceived um, as self-interest. Uh, whereas if people with aphasia are saying that we've been disadvantaged, for example, in stroke rehabilitation, then I think there is some, um, some power behind that, that people will listen to that. Mm. So very true, so very mm. true. Mm. Well, Linda, thank you very much for your time today. We really appreciate um, listening. I could listen all day to, to your discussion, but um, look, and all, on behalf of the profession and people with aphasia, I'd just like to thank you again so much for all you've contributed to this field and for joining us today for this podcast. My pleasure, Kim. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. Remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your colleagues. Thank you for listening and bye for now.